Well, this morning we're in the second week of a series that I've titled Stepping into Light. And it's a series on prayer. And it kind of grew out of an inspiration of reading a book recently that uh, I read by a Carmelite nun by the name of Ruth Burroughs, who has written a book called The Essence of Prayer. And I wrote about it in my blog essay. So there's more about it there. But she speaks of prayer in a way that just was incredibly helpful to me and talked about it as stepping across a threshold toward God and holding ourselves there. So it's that sense of some effort in approaching God, some sense of coming to attention and needing to work a little bit at maintaining attention, holding ourselves there. And I, I thought, what are those thresholds that we cross that we cross knowing that just maybe they might take us into a place where we're aware of God's presence? What are some of those thresholds and what does it look like to, to hold ourselves there? Those thresholds manifest themselves in a number of ways and are actually quite individual. And I've chosen to talk about what I think are five of them that have been important in, in my life. Silence, scripture, thin places, vocation, and covenant relationships. And those will be the five sermons that are a part of this series. But those ways certainly don't exhaust the ways that we decide to cross the threshold, that we decide to do something to seek to pay attention to the presence of God. It's not a matter of getting God to show up. God's already here. It's a question of whether or not we notice God's presence and, and respond to that and begin to enter into that conversation that takes place when we're aware of and when we connect with God's presence, irrespective of, of where we are. So this morning, I want to talk about silence. We had the opportunity to look at silence a couple of times in that recent series on the prophets that preceded this one. Elijah and Habakkuk both mention significantly the role of silence in crossing that threshold in order to pay attention to God. Habakkuk especially talks about going to the watchtower and, and waiting or quietly waiting for the, the work of God to manifest itself, to, to make space for God to reveal himself and to reveal his love. And so this morning we looked at Psalm 62 in our liturgy, but I want to turn our attention to a story about Jesus' ministry in John 8, one of my favorite passages, the story of the woman caught in adultery and how Jesus responds to the crowd who has brought this woman to him. And as we look at this story, I want to encourage you to listen for the pauses in the story. Listen for the silences in this story. Listen to what happens between those spaces of where people are talking. And let me read it for you now. John 8, beginning in verse 2. Early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. All the people came to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it is commanded us to stone such women. 
Now, what do you say? And they said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. But Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus straightened up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Let's pray. Lord, help us to listen in those spaces between the words. Help us listen in the silence between those phrases of what is being said. Empower us by your spirit to have ears and to hear what you have to say to the church. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that I've learned in this uh, time, in this season of being on Zoom, is that it's hard to have moments of silent reflection on Zoom. It's not hard for me, but it's hard for people like Thad and Bob, who have worked in broadcasting. And what it means for them is, those moments of silent reflection, it means that they have screwed up somehow. <laughs> <laughs> It means that there is that awful opponent of dead air, which means that the tech guys or the technology has failed. And that's when, revealing my age here in the 60s, when that weird test pattern of the profile of the Indian from the nickel would come on or the one with the headdress and just a sound would blare and, and a sign would say, please wait, we're having technical difficulties. That in those moments of silence, what happens is, is that the tech guys try and fill that dead air because they're trying to signal to people that it's not their fault. They're trying to signal to people to not turn up the volume to not try and adjust the antenna, uh, I'm really dating myself there, and to, to definitely just hold on because we'll have the sound returning in any moment. It's the signal to the listening or viewing audience that this thing that has gone wrong will be righted, and so just listen to this tone or listen to this music or just know that we'll get back to you at some point. 
And that's why we have the birth of the final Jeopardy music. Da 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 da. Everybody. Da 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 da. It's this mindless tune that if I was on Final Jeopardy, I would say, shut the music off. I'm trying to think of my answer. But somehow that music calms us. And it's okay that those folks up there being contestants have to deal with that, that drivel because heck, they have the chance of winning $10,000 or so, but uh, we can't stand the quiet and so play the final Jeopardy ditty. But the thing to note is, is that in prayer, silence is like pregnancy. It's the space that allows whatever is going to be born to gestate. Silence is not nothingness. Silence is pregnancy. And it's one of the most effective tools in our tool belts to make space for God. The story of the woman caught in adultery is actually, like I said, one of my favorite stories. Like the woman at the well, John seemed to know these stories. John hung out closely with Jesus. He remembered these stories and kind of got us into the psychological depths of Jesus' encounter with these people. The woman caught in adultery, the woman at the well, the man sitting by the pool in Bethsaida. All of those are deeply rich stories about personalities and forgiveness and healing and people dealing with their sin and their weakness. And Jesus encounters them. And in all of those stories, the silences the unstated portions of it, the image of what is happening becomes almost more important than the words that, that are recorded. They're literary masterpieces, I think. And there are at least three silences in this story that I can identify. Those pregnant pauses, if you will, that bear some looking at this morning, that those silent moments, those pregnant pauses that leave space for the truth to reveal itself, for the truth to gestate a little bit so that it's ready to be born and ready to come into conversation. Jesus is teaching. We just read the story. He's out in front of the temple. And as people have gathered around to listen to his teaching, one of the things that happens is that a group of sort of the religious aristocracy, the scribes and the Pharisees come dragging this woman in front of him and they yell and scream at all of the horrible things that she has done. And they say, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. And they're trying, as John says, to, through their cunning, to discredit him, to discredit Jesus, to get him to somehow say that the law is not important. They're trying to paint him as some sort of lawless, reckless preacher, and therefore to discredit him. But this woman is being dragged in their toe. This woman, they say, who has been caught in the very act of adultery. And the first question that I have in this story is, where's the guy? <laughs> Takes two to tango. The guy's just as guilty as her and just as susceptible to the charge that would bring him to be stoned. But suddenly, we have only the woman. It's her fault. 
So we're going to bring her before you. And so with that comes the first pause. Jesus bends down and writes with his finger on the ground. Just quietly letting the scene sink in and letting everybody see both the absurdity and the poignancy of what has happened. And there's silence amid this badgering. I imagine myself, when I imagine myself in this story, I imagine myself where I would usually imagine myself in any kind of great conflict, somewhere far enough away where I could watch but not have to engage. (laughs) Just a short distance though from the fray and kind of taking in that moment, that pregnant moment of asking myself the question, what's he gonna say? And his accusers are also waiting, but they're not quiet. Because they're waiting for a particular answer. The answer they came wanting. And so they keep asking their question and badgering him and refusing to allow for any silence because in their minds, there is only one answer to this question. And they're just waiting for him to say it and waiting for him to either be absolutely merciless and obedient to the demands of the law and giving permission for them to stone her to death or to be absolutely disobedient and to say, why don't you all just go away and not deal with the facts of the case, so to speak. They're waiting only for the right answer, but Jesus straightens up in the midst of their badgering. He's the one who's quiet, note that. And says, okay, here's my answer. Go ahead and stone her. But let the one who's without sin to cast the first stone. And that gives birth to the second pause. Again, there is time to think. And the ones who are thinking the hardest at this point, the ones who are ready to give birth to a different answer, start to leave. The oldest ones, the ones who have been around the block for a few times, the ones who know that they are far from being without sin, the ones who could not possibly cast the first stone in their own minds because they don't meet that requirement at all those who have lived the longest, those who know themselves well, start to leave. And the more youthful heat takes a little longer to cool down. They take a little bit longer to come back down to earth and to move away from their self-righteousness. But eventually they leave too. And there comes the third place of silence. Just Jesus and the woman and his disciples, his closest disciples somewhere nearby, are sitting there, standing there in silence. And it's the silence occasioned by the absence of the mob. And Jesus is still riding in the sand. This time allowing the woman 
to allow that truth to gestate within her. And then he straightens up again and he asks that great question. Woman, where are they? Where have they gone? Has no one condemned you? And she says, yeah, that's right. No one has. And Jesus then says, neither do I. So go, go in peace, go in the, the assurance of forgiveness and let this mercy, let this kindness do its work in you because it can change your life. Silence is not nothingness. Silence is like pregnancy. Silence is the work of letting go and making space for something, cooperating with a work that's going on that we don't control, but in which we participate nevertheless. And guys, especially men, I want to say this to you. If you want to know what it feels like to be pregnant, shut up and listen. In 1995, we moved to Seattle in December of 1994. In June of 1995, I was the new guy on staff at University Presbyterian Church. And so I was given the privilege of being the pastor who would lead our delegation to the Promise Keepers Convention at the Kingdom. No one else on the staff wanted this privilege. And so as the new guy on the staff, I got this privilege. And so I went to the Promise Keepers Convention at the kingdom, 50,000 men gathered in that, that huge concrete thing that ceased to exist a few years ago in order to, to build something new. And it taught me something about this very question that I'm working with today about, about silence. Because at the end of Promise Keepers, one of the things that happened was that the person who was the MC that day basically called every single pastor who was in the crowd to come down on the floor of the kingdom while the rest of the delegates would pray in silence. There was to be absolute silence in the kingdom. And believe me, there had not been absolute silence in the kingdom for much of that conference. There was kind of a raucous sort of back and forth cheering like at a football game, you know, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? And then the other ones would come back, you know, so you know my cynicism. So you know how I was doing with all of that. <laughs> but this moment was my moment. I got to go down on the floor of the kingdom because I was one of the pastors there and stand there while 50,000 men were silent. And my prayer had been answered. And that prayer would be, would you please shut up? <laughs> but more happened in that moment. There was in that silence a kind of Elijah-like moment of hearing the still small voice, of, of knowing a presence that a lot of raucous cheering could never bring. It was the presence of 50,000 people paying attention to the voice of God. And that 
is almost deafening in its heaviness. And it was an unforgettable moment. The genius of doing this is one of my most profound memories, and it's an incredibly good memory of that event. And at one point, even during those five minutes of silence, there was a lone voice who couldn't stand the silence, who came out and started praising God. And the person behind the podium says, you need to shut up. And he did. It was a kind of rebuke, but it was also an invitation to discover something that you wouldn't discover if you were filling the silence with the sound of your own voice. It was an invitation to ponder the the bigness of God, to make space. It was a moment like unto what Habakkuk talks about at the end of chapter two in his book when he says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. It's the reason why the psalmist says, for God alone, Psalm 62, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Silence makes room for something bigger than the world's definitions and dogmas. Silence is the sound of someone listening, of someone waiting of someone humbly wondering. Silence is the act that helps us to make space for God. And the way that the psalm ends reminds us of what we forget very often in the cacophony of the world's definitions and and dogmas. Verses 9 and 10 The psalmist says, those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. So put no confidence in extortion. Set no vain hopes in robbery. But if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. In other words, the world's metrics mean nothing. Put the people who are of low estate and high estate in one side of the balance scales and the weight of the presence of God in the other, and guess what goes up and what goes down. Your definitions about value mean nothing in the presence of the glory, the weightiness, the heaviness of the presence of God. So shut up and listen. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. Let's pray. You are there. We wait for you. And we trust that you will speak to us what we need to hear. So help us to listen. Teach us the humility that is necessary to calm those voices that we wish to articulate and those that we hear. And direct our attention to the certainty of your steadfast love, O God. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.